the message this morning then is on, is a practical message, it's on the Word of God and spiritual warfare. And on, on using the Word of God in your daily devotion, in your daily walk with the Lord, as a weapon in this warfare in which we face. Because we do know that in Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul wraps up his message to the church at Ephesus in the style of what would be common of a commander of, of military men, a commander of legionnaires or any other military army that they would give a speech to their, their men. And then they would wrap it up with a rousing motivational aspect to be strong and to face the enemy. And he uses that same style, except that, of course, here we have biblical truth that God is speaking by the Holy Spirit through the words of the Apostle Paul. And he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and to put on the full armor of God. That's Ephesians 6 verse 10. To put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we feel that pressure against us every single day in this fallen world. Every single day, in one way or another, we feel that pressure coming against us, whether it would be through our own thoughts and emotions, because of the pattern of our lives, whether it would be through experiences we have, personal experiences, experiences at, at work, whether it be through the words of other people, the pressure they may put on us, whether it be through the barrage of of media, which is a constant negative barrage against our minds, we, we, we feel and we experience that attack. And the primary attack of Satan is against our mind, against our thoughts. It's against our thought life. And the mind is what controls us. Our emotions, of course, the emotions also communicate back to our thoughts. But the control comes over the will, over the emotions. In fact, the heart when the Bible speaks of the heart, that correlates very clearly to what is called in the brain the limbic system, our survival brain, our pleasure center, our need to cope and our need to survive. And we know Jeremiah said that the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that in that place, God wants to bring healing and he wants to bring renewal, renewing the heart itself, which is linked to the limbic system and the mind. So the correlation of the mind, the heart, the will, here is the place of attacks. And of course the enemy, he doesn't know your thoughts. And I think that's good to know. Nowhere in the Bible does it indicate that the devil, the, the enemy of our souls, knows our thoughts. It only indicates in the scripture that the Lord knows our thoughts. That he knows everything we think. And, and that's very helpful, isn't it? It's very gratifying. It may, may also be quite frightening, but to know that God is the God who is for us and full of grace, full of mercy, he's not the enemy. But the enemy can see the pattern of our lives and what has been happening in our lives. And so he knows the weaknesses and he knows where to attack. 
through his demonic forces. He knows and he sees those patterns, those thought patterns. And based on those patterns that we have lived out, he attacks our thoughts. His name, Satan, means accuser, the adversary. It says that in Revelation chapter 12, Jesus conquered him, that he has been thrown out of heaven. He has been thrown down. The accuser who day and night accuses God's people. And what does accusation do? Well, it keeps you in shame. It keeps you on the back foot. You know, when you've been accused by somebody or perhaps you've had someone in your family who always was a finger pointer, what that felt like, what that did to you, it keeps you in guilt. It keeps you afraid. That's what accusation does. Jesus also said that the devil, Satan, is a liar. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says that when he lies, he speaks his native language. He's deceitful. He deceives. And what would be his strategy but to deceive us, to, to lie to you and me about God, to lie to you and me about ourselves, to lie to you and me about our circumstances, and to deceive us, to misrepresent reality to us about so many things and so many ways and so many situations. Jesus said he's a murderer from the beginning to destroy, to take life. The book of Revelation chapter 9 verse 11 calls him Apollyon in Greek, Abaddon in Hebrew, the destroyer. He's also called the devil, which comes from the Greek diabolos, which means the slanderer or even the confuser. To bring confusion, to bring separation, to bring discord. Someone who brings discord in relationships. To terrorize a terrorist. To create panic and fear in our midst, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our emotions. To go against us, to attack us. All very normal, what I've spoken about in this fallen world. Right, We see the expression of his kingdom, of his reign, everywhere in this fallen world that we exist in. And this is why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your thought life. Guard what's going on inside you. Because from it, wells up your life. It determines the course of your life. It determines the decisions you make. It determines the directions you take. It determines how you respond to situations. How you live life. Above all else, guard your heart. For it determines the course of your life. Now think about the enemy, the devil, and his demons opposing you, coming against you, attacking you. And think about your life. Think about the pattern of your life. Think about your family of origin. Think about your relationships. Think about your current relationships. Think about your current scenarios. Think about some of the things you've been through in life. Some of the wounds you've had. Think about some of the authority figures that you have dealt with. Some of the teachers and the things that they spoke over you or said to you. Spouses, perhaps. Parents. Imperfect parents. I don't always like to say abusive, let's just say dysfunctional. Let's say imperfect then. 
if we're uncomfortable with that language. Think about the shame and the confusion, discord, unsafe people. And think about some of the dark moments that you've had when you felt worthless, unlovable, and that you can't get it right. And then compare that perhaps to some of what I've been preaching on in the last year and a half about God, about who God is, about what his gospel means, about what he has spoken to us and continues to speak about us, about how he affirms us, about how he ministers to us, about what he calls us to. And then at the intersection of these two realities, how we experience life inwardly and what God says to us and some of that which we have been through over time, at the intersection of that is the warfare that you and I will experience in unique ways. And we are therefore called to fight the good fight. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul was saying this to Timothy. He said, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. That was important to him. He gave instructions to this young man, Timothy, who was perhaps 30 years old in his two letters that he wrote to him. Timothy was personally challenged in terms of timidity. He was challenged with a sense of apprehension, perhaps lacking in confidence and all that that was linked to. Paul actually gave him some very practical advice. He said, drink a little wine for your stomach because at the time that would be good for something like ulcers and anxiety coming, attacking the stomach, the pain that he would feel and the, the tension and the sensitivity in the, in the abdominal area. Drink a little wine for your stomach because he was such an anxious personality, so timid. And Paul writes this letter to him in 1 Timothy and he calls it his command in chapter 1 verse 18. And his letter is a command. It's full of wisdom and instruction and encouragement because Timothy would be taking over from Paul and he had some amazingly big boots to fill. And he writes, verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command. And perhaps this morning he's going to be saying to you, my daughter, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, conscience, which some have rejected and some have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. And Timothy was to engage his leadership. He was to take it on. And what would keep him from engaging his leadership and taking it on was his timidity, his apprehension, his lack of self-worth. His anxiety, his fear would keep him from moving forward and keep him stuck from taking on the pattern of leadership and ministering filled with the Spirit and full of faith. And that was the strategy of the evil one against him because otherwise he would be an anointed leader who would rise up in the power of the Lord and would be a headache and a nightmare for the evil one. And so... Paul gives him these two instructions. He says, first of all, he urges him, recall, Timothy, the prophecies made about you. Number two, by recalling those prophecies, that word, those words from God will be an effective weapon 
to fight against the evil one and to apply all that I'm giving you in this warfare. Now, this is what I do in ministering my discipleship groups for men caught in addiction. Because one of their primary struggles is that they are stuck in shame. They're stuck in guilt. And part of the holistic process that we take them through is that they have to renew the mind, renew their thinking. How they think about themselves, how they think about life, how they think about their purpose, whether they even identify that they have a purpose in this world, that God has created them and placed them in this world and has placed within them them gifts and DNA and ability to be change agents of change. And it's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy, giving him practical advice to fight the good fight. God sees and says something else of you, Timothy, and he then urges him and says, fight the good fight. And what is a good fight this morning? What is a good fight? Well, a good fight is one that you're going to win in God's strength, not your own. And so we use those personal promises and we combine them with real life experience where we say to a participant, think over time where you have encountered the manifest presence of God. Where you have had an encounter with God and you will see how God has been faithful to you in your life. And then we talk them through that and they develop a personal promise through the scripture and we show them how to wield them, wield them a little bit more about that later. But it applies to all of us. If you had a challenging childhood, and all of us at one level or another have had challenges in one way or another, be it through bullying, be it through authority figures that were unsafe, be it in the parenting and the way we were parented, sometimes it was very direct and aggressive and negative. You're worthless, you're unlovable, you can't get it right, you don't have what it takes. That may have been communicated to you. I don't want to be your friend. You don't belong to this group. Do you think that doesn't affect us as human beings? Of course it does. And that's where the deceiver, the enemy, comes in to accuse, to deceive, to confuse, and to intimidate. And sometimes the messages weren't overtly negative. Perhaps there was no communication. Do you know that no communication is a form of communication? Silence. No emotion. No physical demonstration of love. Passivity in parenting. All of these are a form of communication. Perhaps constant insults and put-downs against your identity. And you know, as we're growing up, well, how can a bad child ever become a good adult? Because when you're small, you can't process that. You need someone. You would have needed someone to say that's not true and process that with you. And for most of us, possibly that's not what we experience. And you know... Some people, because of things like that, words spoken into their lives, events and experiences that they've had, they've remained stuck and they've lived out of that pattern. They've then lived that. But I've also seen that men and women who are incredibly successful, 
still at their deepest core feel, I'm not successful. I still don't have worth. I still don't have what it takes. No matter how hard I try, I'm trying to please someone who never was pleased. Now, we have to get tired of what others said and what the enemy says, what the devil, what Satan speaks. We have to get tired of that. We have to now want to live life in the light of what our Heavenly Father says about us. We have to rise up. We have to rise up and say, I'm no longer going to live life in view of what my past has tried to determine. I'm going to live life in view of what my Heavenly Father says is my destiny. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, the Apostle Paul he simply continues to counsel and advise Timothy in this way. Verse 14, do not neglect your gift. In fact, this is, I believe, yes, chapter 4. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you again through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. In chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame. Fan into flame. Come out of passivity. Begin to believe those words that God spoke over you and those prophetic promises that He gave you. And fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind, self-discipline. And he is creating us to become well-rounded individuals. A well-rounded mind. Healing us. And this is one part of the strategy. One. The weapon that we have, it is the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29 the Lord declares to Jeremiah, says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the author there writes to the Hebrew believers, he says, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God speaks into the very deepest places and goes into the conscious and subconscious places of our lives, of our thoughts, of our emotions. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and... Now we have it, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Holy Spirit is God's Word. And we are to wield it. We are to wield the double-edged sword. We are to have faith in our Lord that His Word, which He declares, is like a hammer. It is a fire. It can break. It can break strongholds. It can tear negative vows. It can replace automatic negative thoughts. It can heal anxiety when we connect it to a holistic process of discipleship. It can demolish strongholds. 
Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 45. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. And what are the weapons of the world besides the overt weapons? Well, using our words in destructive ways. Defending ourselves. You can know when someone comes and you, you suddenly have this deep need to defend yourself that somehow you've been attacked. Where you feel defensive and unsafe and, and you're thinking, why am I defending myself? What's going on? Weapons of the world. Weapons of the enemy. Weapons of the devil. Weapons of Satan. On the contrary, the weapons of God, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 45. God's word. God's word in Hebrew and in the Greek, in the Latin, in the Greek, not in the Hebrew. It was a New Testament written in the Greek with the Machaira. was the sword that the Roman legionaries had. And it was a double-edged powerful sword for thrusting and slicing and chopping a powerful sword. And he says, that's how God's word is. It's double-edged. It cuts. But it's a, it's a weapon against the enemy. It's a double-edged sword. As we speak God's word to ourselves, but we have to proclaim it as well. And that word comes against the enemy. It is God's truth spoken to you. Which you have to assimilate personally and accommodate and readjust your thinking According to what God has been speaking to you. And that can be very personal. How do you wield the weapon in combat? Well, from the course that we do called the Conquer Series, one of the courses that I do discipleship in, Dr. Ted Roberts, who was one of the primary speakers in that course, he says there's four ways that they instruct young men. And this is what we do. He says, first of all, first of all think over your life. And think about all the times that God has encountered you. Now you won't believe it. I have men who have been grown up in Christian homes. Been serving the Lord for many years. And suddenly I can't think about when God has encountered me. I have to say you've got to sit down and think over your life. And as you begin to think carefully you will see where God has been faithful to you. Where God has encountered to you encountered you and perhaps you weren't listening perhaps you were never taught how to listen you you never switched off so that you could switch on but it is to listen and to think and to reflect back where were those times where particularly at an emotional level i was encountered by god's manifest presence i'm not only speaking about reading the bible Though this may have been God's powerful word that would have reached out at you like a, in a 3D dimension and whack, you had the sense of the Holy Spirit is speaking to me from this word personally for my life. But it could be in dreams. It can be in a vision. It can be in a prophecy that somebody gave you. It can be in a worship time where you were overwhelmed emotionally where the presence of God encountered you. And then secondly... You take and you write down what God spoke to you four times. Take four or five times that you can think back over your life 
where you know God has encountered you with His manifest presence, and you write down that experience, and you write down what do you think He was telling you in that? What was He trying to show you? So often, perhaps in a counselling session, I'll say to someone, take this week, and go and see what God tells you. And sometimes they come back and they say, well, God told me to do this. I say, stop. God's not interested in your performance. God's interested in who you are. God's interested in revealing to you who he is. Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Often they had the revelation about you are the Son of God. God's interested in revealing who He is. Those are powerful encounters. God is interested in who you are and who He is telling you you are. We're so stuck in performance. What must I do? That we can't even hear sometimes what who he is and who he's saying we are. You're my beloved son. You're my daughter and you're my favorites. That's where Jesus began his ministry. At his baptism. And you know, when you have that, your performance begins to fall in line. It begins to flow out of a place of identity. You think of someone who's received tremendous parenting and encouragement from mom and dad and positive affirmation and emotional involvement and presence. And you will often see a young man and a young woman where their performance flows out of the identity. You don't see it often, but we can all think about certain people where we may identify that. And when we go through trials, we endure When we get knocked down, we get up. We keep getting up by the grace of God. We just keep getting up. Because we know that God ultimately is not totally fixated on my performance. He's he's involved with me and who I am and who He is. That's why we say, knowing the Lord, the gospel is a personal relationship. Right? And then thirdly, attach that encounter to a promise in Scripture. What God communicates in His Word, attach that encounter to a Word, a Scripture, to God's eternal Word, His Word which is inspired and inerrant, and write down that Word, and then fourthly, speak God's Word into your situation. When you get up in the morning, we have to do this. Otherwise, we begin to reorganize our lives around anxiety and fear and automatic negative thoughts. What happens when you're in a negative, depressive state of mind? Do you know what happens? You begin to take details out of context. Any neutral statement, you automatically interpret it negatively. The, the cup is half empty, not half full. That's what happens when we're in a negative, depressive... We begin to anticipate the worst. When, we, when we're in a place of anxiety, what happens? Well, we organize our lives around automatic thoughts and we 
grow a negative, fearful mindset and then we respond in fearfulness. Not faith. Throughout the day when we go and live our lives and negative things encounter us and you might find that suddenly you get gripped by fear and, and your chest tightens up and, and you feel this, this panic. That's when you know the evil one, he's having a go at you. But it can be such a pattern in your life that you think it's normal. Normal life. Certainly not the abundant life that God has for us. So we are to fight the good fight against cognitive distortion. The psalmist, Psalm 42, what does he say? Why He speaks to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so distraught within me? Put your faith in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And before you get up, when you go to bed, you remind yourself, you speak those promises to yourself, those scriptures that you've written down that are attached to a memory, an experience where you encountered the manifest presence of God. And you speak those scriptures to your mind. And that's how you renew your mind. Even literally, physically, the structure of your brain will renew. That's what neuroscience is now proving. That's fantastic. Our mind, our thinking can change. And our brain can physically restructure and create new neural pathways. When you, before you get up, before your feet hit the ground, when you're getting out of bed, you already have reminded yourself, you've meditated on those four or five promises from God so that you begin your day in light of God's word and what he says to you rather than in light of fear or anxiety or what the enemy is going to be throwing against you. That's the application. That's how we do it. That's how we come against the voice of the enemy. Through the day, when dread comes over you, you may have to do the diaphragmatic breathing from the stomach, which, which calms you. If you a woman, you know that from giving birth. But you've got to speak those promises. You've got to remind yourself of those, and you've got to declare them to the enemy. And when you start doing that, you will renew the structure of your mind. It is how we think and we will overcome the shame and the pain and it will wash over us now listen to this Paul Cole I end in this what God gives us as men and women is a dream and a direction it's not just simply some sort of vision you can be this but it is who I am as a man who I am as a woman And that I can become everything I was designed by God to be. And everything I was destined to be by God. And everything I desire to be in God. We're not defined by the mistakes we've made. We're defined by the direction we're headed. When a man and woman turns and has a focus in life, and now she has a direction. And that defines who she is rather than than her past. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. And what is a good fight? It is a good fight that, and it's a fight that you can win. Amen.
live clean. Give us the Lord's Supper and we will be able to meditate and think of Jesus and all that he has accomplished on our behalf.